intimacy with God, and intimacy is something that we need to understand that is more than just a physical word that relates to um, physical intimacy, but it's a word that describes, well, in the original Latin word, intus, means that which is in us for the most part. That part, that, that is that the part of us that is the core part of us. And we've been talking about these last few messages, and I think this will be our last message on intimacy. And I'd like to go into segue into something about our hearts. But intimacy with God means this, that we are deeply seen. God deeply sees into you and I. I think we've all desired that, that, that individual or that experience. And somebody can look deeply inside of us and really see what's going on inside of us. And to really see it, not just to observe it and walk away, but to deeply see, and secondly, to deeply understand. I think we desire deep understanding, deep understanding. When you're as crazy as when we are in the midst of acting out whatever we're acting out. You know, if you have kids, you know what that means. If you're married, you know what acting out means. If you're just a human being, you understand what that word acting out means. And when we're acting, when somebody's acting out, when we're acting out, we desperately desire to be deeply seen and to be deeply understood. But then not only deeply understood, but to be deeply, deeply loved, to be deeply loved. Not just to be seen and, and then walk away, or to be seen and be embarrassed, not to be deeply seen and to be uh, deeply understood and then condemned or judged, but to be deeply seen and to be deeply, to be deeply, deeply loved. And understood where God deeply loves us. This is what we're talking about in intimacy. I'm afraid that in, in a lot of religious circles in the world today, there is just no genuine, intimate, uh, authentic relationship. And with that comes a measure of vulnerability and a lack of predictability. And I think that the flesh, as we heard earlier, as Mike was talking about, it desires to control things because the flesh is just aware of its expiration date. It's also aware that the flesh has a sense of self-preservation, doesn't it? The flesh wants to control a situation because it wants to make sure that it's not going to be killed in the process, and it wants to know that we can, we can expect a predictable outcome. And so instead of faith and walking in intimacy with God, and that's what faith in God means. It just means another way of describing intimacy with God deeply seen, deeply understood, and deeply loved by God. 
instead of all of that, the flesh wants to hijack your will, it wants to hijack your emotions, it wants to hijack everything that's going on in the, in the inner workings of your soul, and it wants to hijack that and lie to you and then bring you to a place where it's just all knowledge and information and predictability. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And what that, what that leaves us with is, leaves us with no, with just no heart, just no authenticity, and no empathy, and no compassion, no love. And so that's what we have today. We have, in a lot of religious circles, and, and in the society that we live in, the world, the flesh, and, and this whole system that we live in, can be very cold, it can be very matter-of-fact, and it can be very painful. Because we are creatures that are made for community. We are, we are made for relationship. Okay? We are made for relationship. Uh, we do not live, we cannot live well as an island, a spiritual island. I think I could stay home on Sunday and just watch all the religious TV programs that are going on and still miss a huge part of my Christianity. I talked to somebody yesterday, or two days ago, and they were telling me about their story about the churches. And they said, you know, we were going to a great church with great preaching. Uh, stuff went down, and we were all, we were just embarrassed. We just got really awkward, and we just left. We were so disappointed and just so discouraged in the whole Christian scene that we just didn't go to church for a while. And I've heard that story so many times. This community community is very frail. It's very frail. People are, we are very frail in a sense that people are very sensitive. And, and I think that when we talk to people, within the first three to eight seconds, people say that we are automatically making unconscious decisions and conclusions about that individual. Yeah. Unconsciously. That's why we need discernment. That's why we need to deeply see deeply understand and deeply love and then sometimes just be quiet you know just not to like come in with I think sometimes people listen sometimes we listen because we're just waiting for that opportunity to tell somebody what we know you know and we will actually just kind of cut them off in their, in their sentence and I think it just tells us that the flesh is trying to process the world that we live in outside of faith and outside of the heart of God and outside of the mind of Make sense? The flesh, the world, and the devil are working against <clears throat> the working against it to destroy an understanding of the heart of God. And it's sad to walk into a church and feel like you're in a mall. And that happened to us. You know, that, that's happened. And so the New Testament church, the book of Acts church, is a church that where they shared all things in common. They were meeting daily, and I love that kind of Christianity, meeting daily getting together as much as we can and just breaking bread together. It doesn't mean just having communion. Okay, bring the wine out, bring this up. But communion means like we are breaking the bread of Christ, which means like, that means like, hey, we're talking about the broken body of Christ. And then we're also talking about the new covenant of the blood. So this is what we crave, this intimacy. But yet what can happen is, is because we don't understand what the old heart is and what the new heart is, we can look at intimacy as a very threatening thing. I don't want to be deeply seen. I don't want to be deeply known. And I, 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 I'm afraid to be deeply loved because I've been hurt before. How many have heard that before? I don't want to be seen. <laughs> I just kind of want to hang out in my house. I want to live in Montana in the woods. I don't want anybody to know me. I don't want to know anything. I don't want anybody to know anything about me because I'm just 
so tired of, of, of people. Charlie Brown said that. He said, he said, uh, I love humanity. It's just people I can't stand. <laughs> I love all people. You ever hear the philanthropist, you know, I love the whole world. You know, let's love the whole world. And then say, hey, do you mind helping me move? You know, and just kind of helping me get my stuff into my truck. Oh, no, no, I can't stand that. I don't I actually want to hang out with you at all. I love humanity. And it's so hypocritical, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there's a fear of intimacy, a lack of trust. And, it, and it's really, I was talking with my wife, it's really amazing. Isn't it amazing how, how and we can, this can all happen in every human being, that a person is so injured and so destroyed inside, they don't know what the new heart is, that they are a new creation. And so they sabotage every relationship that they get into. Relationships go good, they go good, they go good. And then when there starts, when some depth comes into that relationship, some things are, are being discussed, in a very fearful, in a very um, reluctant way, there is the knee-jerk reaction, oh my gosh, I'm trusting this person, what if I get hurt again? You know what I'm saying? There's a knee-jerk knee -jerk reaction, and we begin to sabotage the relationship because we're afraid, for, we're afraid to have any intimacy, and rightfully so, because this world is not a safe place. The kingdom of God is a safe place. The body of Christ is a safe place. We are secure in Christ. We are in a community that is clean, lovely, not in unblamed, and, and not in unblamed, without blemish. And so there are people, and I, we have seen that. How many of have, how many of you have ever seen someone get into a relationship and then they automatically they don't point to your wife, your husband. <laughs> but how many of us have ever seen that happen? Where we just begin? I've done it. I think all of us have done it. And we are saying, like Peter said, like we said last week, Peter sees Jesus do this incredible miracle for him, and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, right? And, and, and Peter is always sabotaging the relationship with Jesus because he can't handle the intimacy that grace produces, right? The grace of God produces intimacy. It produces an environment where we say, hey, I'm secure here. God is here. There's, this is a no-judge zone. I, I was thinking about this. Somebody said that a few months ago. Let's put right over our door, no-judge zone. Mm -hmm. I think it was a guest that came there. Yeah, I love to hear. No-judge zone. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. And so here's another weird thing about intimacy. Do you ever know somebody, I don't know if you're going to understand this, but I call it assumed intimacy. You hear what that means? Somebody comes up and says, I want you to be in my accountability group, and I'm going, I want you to give me a right to check on you. Check on you, check how you're doing, and check how's your soul doing. And, and that all sounds great, but it's an, I don't know that person. I don't know where they're coming from, and I don't have that relationship with that person. Does that make sense? I, I call it assumed intimacy. And they're, and they're checking up on you. And I think that they really mean well and they really want it. And maybe they're even, this is even God's will, but they're learning in the process of what that portion in their life means. But assumed intimacy means, hey, I'm the pastor and you've got to obey me and you've got to do everything I, I say. That's assumed intimacy. Or I'm the pastor and you've got to, I've got to counsel you and you've got to tell me all of your deepest things that are going on. That would be assumed intimacy on my part. Does that make sense? Intimacy cannot happen without trust. Trust cannot happen without understanding that we're in a safe zone. And we can't understand if we're in a safe zone if we don't know who we are in Christ. 
And that's the whole work of the church, isn't it? In Ephesians 4, that, that we would be built up together in who we are in Christ as one new man. Is that making sense? I, I, I love this thought. So what is this What is this deal with intimacy with God? You know, intimacy. It sounds so romantic, doesn't it? Like I was thinking the other day, like, oh, the beauty of God's holiness. That sounds so romantic. And I think there's a part of us, and even a part of the flesh, that wants to romanticize a relationship with God. Is that, you understand what I mean? Like, like, oh, the holiness of God is so beautiful. It's like we're looking at something that's so beautiful but unattainable, but we're just admiring it. That's not something that we need to live with. Intimacy with God begins with this. God loved us first. <laughs> That's how the relationship goes, begins with God. Remember when, when the prophet Hosea uh, was told by God to go down to the slave market, which was a human trafficking um, zone where they were selling people. <laughs> That's like That was happening in the Middle East at that time. And they were and go down and um, tell this prostitute that you're going to marry her and take her for yourself and make her your, and, and it's going to be, Hosea, it's going to be all you loving this person. What a radical, that's called, that's reckless love right there. That's radical. But that's what God did with us. We were prostituted into this world. We were selling ourselves. We were sold into this same market of sin. And God walked in like in the form of Hosea. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. And said, I see something very beautiful in you, the hidden man of your heart in, in Ezekiel chapter thir- uh, I believe it's 13. And it says, is while you were in your mess, I redeemed you, I loved you, I healed you, and I took you unto myself. This is the way the relationship with God begins. This is the core message of the New Testament. And I'm afraid that we're missing this in Christianity. I'm afraid, we're, I'm not afraid, we are missing this. We have somehow gotten off topic and we're praying for experiences where we're asking God to do things that have already happened in, our, in the finished work 2,000 years ago. And so when we look at this, God, we see, we see intimacy begins here in Jeremiah 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am God. It all begins with God giving you a brand new heart. If you've, if you've believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a brand new heart inside of you, a brand new ticker, a brand new heart. And it's not just any heart, it's a heart to know God. It's not some, you know, it's not like, okay, God's given you a new heart, and now uh, you've got a heart that's inside of you that is knowing God. And I want to just talk about this. This is where intimacy begins. This is where the sabotaging our relationships that maybe we are even blind to. Maybe we're just blind to that. You know, I can understand that if somebody's been really hurt in a lot of, you know, with a lot of relationships, it's going to take time. And we're not going to assume intimacy in relationships with anybody. It's going to take time and healing. And it could happen in a moment, but it could take time. Three things I just want to say, the old heart, the new heart, and then living in true intimacy. And then I'll be done. Number one, the unbeliever's old heart. You know, the old heart is something that um, is described very clearly, and sometimes we misunderstand what it is, but Romans 1, verse 24, it talks about how God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. This is the old heart that has lusts in it. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, uh, talks about the heart that is trained in greed. Wow, that's interesting, not huh? Trained in greed. Like when someone says, 
that, that has not been regenerated, that does not know Jesus Christ, and they say, I'm, you just need to follow your heart. Where's that heart going to lead you to? It's going to lead you down the road of greed. We've got to be honest. We've got to be, we got to be transparent. We've got to follow our hearts. It's a very dangerous teaching because the heart does not know its own way. The old heart is deceitfully wicked, and, and none can know it, and it's going to take you down into some very dark places. In Ephesians 4.18, it talks about a hard heart, the hardness of heart, that um, talks about the Gentiles, the unsaved, that they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart, a hard heart. Romans 2 talks about a heart that just, it, it just, it just it has no capacity to repent. It just will, will not change. Um, and in Acts 7, verse 51, Paul talks, talks about a stiff-necked people that are uncircumcised in heart, resisting the Holy Spirit, and therefore they are not saved. And so what is the old heart? The old heart that Jesus crucified 2,000 years ago, that old heart that we came into that we came into the kingdom of God with and then Christ has crucified it. What is that old heart? This is what it says. Get this, okay? Maybe this is going to sound familiar. I know I'm supposed to live holy, but I do not want to, <laughs> secretly. But because I'm supposed to live holy, I'm going to fake it till I make it. You ever hear of it here? I'm going to fake it till I make it. Is that the life that God wants for you and I to live in? I'm going to fake it till I make it? That is not the Christian life. That, is, that sounds like a torturous way to live the Christian life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to live holy, but I really don't want to. So I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm just going to have to do what I do to squeak by. I'm going to fake it till I make it. That's the old heart. That is not Christianity, and that's been crucified with Christ. God will have none of that. That is not glorifying God. It says in, in, in Jeremiah 24, verse 10, that God will give us a whole heart. That means... In Psalm 86, and God takes the divided heart and he unit in verse 11 and he makes it one heart. Let's talk about the new heart that God gives you. I love this. I was just reading this and I was just so excited on Saturday afternoon. My wife took Caleb and Sarah and they just went out. I said, shop as long as you want. As much as you want. I was just at home, cold, quiet. The only thing I could hear was my refrigerator turning on and off. I don't know when it was the last time I heard my refrigerator turn on. I was like, what's that noise? Oh, it's so quiet in here. I just began to meditate on this new heart. Let's turn to this verse together, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and verse 27. I'm going to read this to you in the Amplified Bible. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, verse 26, verse 27. A new heart will I give <clears throat> This is an Old Testament peak into the New Testament covenant of what was to come. Yeah. You know what? David said in Psalm 51, he said, Oh, oh Lord, give me, a new, give me a clean heart. Give me a new heart, oh God. Although David was, a, was probably in the Old Testament one of these men that had such a clear understanding of the new covenant coming, what the, what the church was going to be able to live in, he was not in that, he, he, did, he was not in that time frame. And so all he could do was pray for that. The Christian doesn't need to pray for a new heart. We don't need to pray for a clean heart. God created me a clean heart. And then the second thing he says is, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's a prayer that the believer does not need to pray. That's an Old Testament, pre-New co new Covenant um, prayer. We pray, I have a new heart. Thank you, Jesus. That new heart, as, as Michael said so greatly, that heart is in action with God, and it's praying, and there's the Holy Spirit in there. I'm getting ahead of myself. 
the whole, the, he says, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit, small s, meaning a new human spirit, I will put within you. And I will take away the stony, hard, ignorant heart. I will take that away. Taking it away. When you take something away, is it away, or where is it? It's away. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and what will he give you? I will give you a heart of what? Flesh. Ooh. That sounds like vulnerability. I'd rather, the, I'd rather have a stone heart because I do not want to be hurt again. No, the old heart has been taken away. The stony heart has been taken away. And now you have, a, you have a, a, a heart of flesh. Christianity means some vulnerability. It means some heartbreak. It just means that, oh my gosh, okay. How about this? I, I, when I became a dad, I, I, it dawned on me like so clearly like always for me the fatherhood and the patience and the vulnerability of God was always a mystery to me until I became a dad because I mean God like how, how can you put up with these people you know like and I would just like how can you even put up with people <clears throat> they're just weirdness and their lack of consistency and all of this stuff and and then I became a dad and I realized oh my gosh this is I don't want to say karma but God's God's, God's like, he says, I'm going to make you a dad. I'm going to make you understand what I and my patients go through. But not because of being, being grudgingly doing it or reluctantly do it, because of the absolute love that I have for people. And now I understand it. You know, when your kids are just totally out of control and they're climbing on the walls and they're screaming at the same time. And you got you thought you had three kids, but now you have 16 kids, right? Jesus. And you have 20 other kids and they're like, you know, and they open their mouth and they're speaking things that you've never ever heard in your entire life. And you're wondering, like, how did this ever happen? Yet there's something even greater. Like, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I think I got a quiet morning to myself. I'm just going to open my Bible. And then suddenly screams are coming out of the room. Blood curdling cries like my child is being murdered. And you run into the room. And this, I, don't know what, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but he's like 15 months. But I think he's learned how to get his legs stuck between the slats and the crib. Oh, yeah. And so he's oh, laying yeah. there, and he's got his leg like he's like screaming at the top. And I pick him up, and he's like, he stopped crying, he's laughing, he's smiling, and he's like, yeah, that works. And I come into bed, <laughs> and then it's happening again. It's like, so I don't know what to do. I mean, we're trying to gauge the cries. Okay, is that a cry of, a real cry of, of, of pain and suffering, or is that just a get me out of this bed cry? And so I'm just thinking, but you know something, something overtakes all of that, and that's the heart, the fatherly heart. That's the heart that God has given us. That's the heart that's unconditional love. You know what's amazing about moms? I've seen this so I've seen, I've seen this so often. Is that their child can go to jail and go to jail for some crazy thing, for some horrendous thing, and their the mom will say, That can't be my kid. My kid wouldn't do my kid wouldn't do that. That's amazing, isn't it? It's like like something that moms see in kids that, you know. So we're dealing with a situation in Baltimore, and this guy was just out of his mind. He's like a grown man in his late 30s, and he's on his way to jail for something that he totally deserved to go to jail for. And his mom's like, I just don't understand. Like, can you, Pastor, can you just pray that God would deliver him from jail? And I just don't think he did that. And I, I don't know if it's naivety or, or what that is, but it tells me that there's an aspect in a human being that can love another human being and not even see the sin. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Even though it may not be the case. 
And so God has given us a new heart, a new spirit. He's taken a stony heart out of our flesh to give us a new heart of flesh, which is vulnerable. It can get broken. We're going to get broken, guys. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just the difference is, is that when the heart gets broken, we have a comforter. And we heard that from Pastor Michael this morning. He's a pastor, by the way. That we heard that from him this morning, that, that God can comfort us. He can comfort us, and his spirit can comfort us in a way that nothing could ever comfort us. You know something? Do you know why people go to the psychic to get their hand read? Do you know why people go to psychologists? Because they're looking for people to deeply know them and to tell them something that nobody else can tell, but they don't even know. You know? <coughs> That's why people are making all this money, you know, telling telling fortunes with the tarot cards. And by the way, don't ever do that because there's a spirit related to that. Amen. So God, he puts a spirit within you. He said in verse 27, I will put my spirit in you. So we have a new heart, a new human spirit, and we have a heart of flesh, and we also have this Holy Spirit that is in us. And you, and, and that Holy Spirit, New Testament concept, Old Testament location, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? That's why his commandments are not grievous. You try to do his commandments in the energy of the flesh. By the way, that's legalism. If you want a good... If you want to give a good definition of legalism, that is me trying to do the will of God or my perception of the will of God and the energy of my flesh. Amen. By the way, you know, religious flesh too. So that's legalism. And so, and, it's, and what is this verse referring to? It's referring to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, where it says, I'm going to put my covenant, this is my covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, speaking to us, the church, I will imprint my laws upon their minds. And this is so important, get this even upon their innermost thoughts, and reading from the Amplified, and understanding, and engrave them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is a precious, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible right there, that I'm putting my spirit in you, I'm giving you a new spirit, I'm giving you a new heart, and this new heart has new <coughs> desires, and, and, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and that spirit is going to cause you to walk in my way. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're like, you know what? I don't know if I can do this Christianity thing anymore. I don't know if I can. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling with this major mountain in my life. And, and, and at that moment, what we need to do, we need to say, Lord, in the energy of my flesh, I cannot. Your spirit, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that for he will cause us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Christianity is not you-anity. It's Christ in you. Yeah fulfilling what everything that God could ever demand from us. And that's why he gives us a new heart. He doesn't save you and say, okay, hey, you're good now. Do your best. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, now love your, okay, okay now you're born again, now love your wife. Or now love your kids. Or be, be honest at work. He doesn't give us, he doesn't save us and then give us the Ten Commandments again and say, now you, now you do it in the power of your own religiosity. He does not do that. He saves us. He equips us. And he puts you in a body of people, a body of Christ. And you know something? The body of Christ is like the tabernacle of, of God in the, when the Israelites were going, marching across the desert on the outside. It just looked, if you read it, it's very interesting. It, it was just, it had all of these furs all over it and these, all these weird badger skins. When you had all these, like, you had these hundreds of thousands of Israelites and in the middle, it was like this furry lump. <laughs> it's like, it was not beautiful to look at. But inside, there was more gold than there was in, like, you know, in Fort Knox. I mean, 
it was this mega treasure inside. And this is what the body of Christ is. When you look at the body of Christ, when you look at Evergrace or any other church that's living in the gospel life, it's not going to be super like, whoa, that's so impressive. That's like, you know, it's like looking at a Ferrari. You know, looking at a Ferrari is like, I want to look at that, you know, and, and just... I want to look at that. I want to look at that Hummer that's in the parking lot. Just sew that in. No, it's not what it is. You look at the body of Christ, and by sight, it's going to be like, whoa. That's like okay, everybody's late. You know, this is not right. Okay, uh, this person doesn't speak English. All this stuff. You know, all these weird things that people get all hung up about. But guess what? It is precious. It is beautiful, and it is God's masterpiece. Isn't that awesome? The body of Christ is God's masterpiece. Yeah, it's just so awesome. It's so awesome. God gives us a heart, the believer's heart, in Romans chapter 6. And, and I really, if you get one thing from this message, I just want you to get this. God gives us an obedient heart. Now, the grace message is not like this. Okay, God's grace, everything's for free, it's awesome. And then, but now let's talk about obedience, like it's some kind of contrasting philosophy. You know something? God gives you a brand new heart, and that heart is a heart that wants God. It wants, the, it wants God's things. It's like in you. It's Romans chapter 7. When we sin because we've been deceived by the flesh, our old flesh, or the, or the old sin, or, or, the, or, the, or the devil, or the system of the world that we live in, and we get deceived and we, when we fail, the, the, um, the, old, the new heart that is in us, and there's only one heart in us, the new heart, Romans chapter 7, we say like Paul says, we said, wow, that hurts so much. My new heart, that just hurts so much because that's not what my heart wanted to do. My heart wants God. And what happens when you get saved? Everything changes. Because before you get saved, before you got saved, you can sin without any conscience. You can just sin. Maybe there was some moral sense. Okay, what I did wrong, what I did was wrong. But now when you get <laughs> saved, if you try to go back into that life, man, Wow, that you just find yourself swimming upstream. That's not something that your heart really wants, your new heart wants to do. Does that make sense? We have an obedient heart. There's obedience from the heart. It means that his laws and his will and his mind is everything is in that heart. It's been engraved on my heart. Isn't that precious, like engraved on your heart? I mean, how many of you got, when you got um, engaged, um, you got a ring that had something engraved on it? When my... When I turned 13, I got a family ring, and on the inside of my ring was some Bible verses my mom had engraved in there. Very precious Bible verses engraved. That means it's not going anywhere. It's there. God has engraved his word on your heart. Isn't that beautiful? It's engraved on this heart. And we desire that word of grace. God gave us an obedient heart. And so when we sin, it's actually going against our heart. And Paul said, I do not want to sin. I don't want this. He said, he, said, um, he said that I have a new obedient heart. And so the last point I want to make here as we close is intimacy. Intimacy. This new heart, the old heart has been taken out and has been crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago. We have a new heart, which is a new heart to know God, to be, to be um, vulnerable. And, you know, I think, I think when we are in a, in a relationship that there's vulnerability, there's a lot of satisfaction in there, isn't there? Because we're not... Because we're not here, I'm not trying as a pastor to give the impression that I'm some some uber man, some superman. Um, we 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 here because we live and we fellowship in just an awesome environment of, of grace. We can afford vulnerability, but intimacy begins with a new heart that's put inside of us, the heart of God. That's where intimacy begins. Intimacy begins with a new heart. It's not 
with the old heart. <coughs> and it looks really awesome. Satan can't put anything into that new heart. I want to say, well, why am I saying that? Because when you read Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira, remember when they lied to the apostles about the land that they bought and the land that they sold and the money that they kept for themselves? And they gave a little portion of it, and they said, we've given everything that we've made from that money, and they lied. Remember what the apostles Peter said to them? Satan has put this lie into your heart that you would lie against the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Ananias and Sapphira were not saved. I don't believe that they were saved. Because the, 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 the lie against the Holy Spirit is resisting the work of salvation. So if somebody is, if somebody is sinning against the, the Holy Spirit in the, in the sense that we see that the Pharisees did, resisting the Holy Spirit, then they're not even saved because they haven't even surrendered to even the primary work of the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to tell you that because Satan can't put something in your heart because there's no other room in there to put anything else. Why, what's in our heart? Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured into the heart. Every day, pour, pour your coffee and then pour your agape coffee with purified coffee. <laughs> and, you know, agape coffee every morning. I love it. Spirit-filled coffee? Yes. Spirit-filled experience. <laughs> yeah. Purified coffee. You know, pray for Chris and, 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 and purified coffee. The Holy Spirit, the love of God is poured into our hearts. Poured into like water, like coffee. <clears throat> I love that. Ephesians 3.7, Christ dwells in our heart by faith. He's there, not as long as I have faith, but he's there as long, he is there as long as Jesus is Jesus and God is God because the work is finished. And I just experience that by by living in faith, trust. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, the Spirit of God has sealed us, sealed our heart. If nothing else can go in there. In Galatians 4, 6, the Spirit of God sent into our heart, cries, Abba, Father. It cries out. Our heart is so filled with the Trinity. It's so filled with God. And, and, and it's so precious. because And there's something else. And this is really what I want to bring into the practical part of our relationships and intimacy. There's something else in our heart. This is something very beautiful in our heart. And it's 1 Peter 3, verse 4. And it says this in the, in the Amplified. We know that 1 Peter 3 is talking about, in these verses, talking about women, right? And people get all wrapped up with, okay, what can a woman can wear, what they can't wear, what color makeup, how much makeup. I don't know how much is too much or whatever. But look at this verse here. It says this. But let it be the inward adorning, adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. In you, there's a hidden person. And you know who that hidden person is? It's beautiful. They are adorned. They, one word here is charmed, unfading, gentle, and peaceful spirit. That is in you. And it's very precious in the sight of God. Think about that for a minute. In you is a hidden man that people do not see. And it's precious. It's lovely. It's adorned by God. And this is what Jesus saw in you and I. How does this affect our relationships and intimacy? When you're struggling, when you and I are struggling in our relationships, and we're just getting torn up, we're not being understood, we don't feel like we're deeply seen, pray, as we heard Michael say, get on your knees and just get that love from God. And just say, God, how do you love that? And just ask God, God, can you show me the hidden man in their heart? Because there's a lot of layers there that they're living behind because of fear and because of betrayal, the hidden man of the heart. Jesus loves that. He's loving. And you know something that is our new identity. <coughs> and we choose not to know someone after the flesh. We choose that I'm not going to know my wife after the flesh. 
And guess what? When somebody comes up and they spiritually vomit on you, there's a lot of craziness coming out of them. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of a mature Christian is to say, we say, we wipe all that off, and we say, you know something, there's a hidden man in that person's heart, and that hidden man is very precious, very valuable, and very lovely to God. Man, that's what we see in our kids. That's what we see in our relationships. That's what we decide to choose to see in our marriages. Because this, when we think like this, we begin to discover that God has given us a new heart, and this is where intimacy can become real. Because we can see something like the mom whose son's going to jail. We see something in that kid that nobody else sees, but mom does because she gave birth to him. Amen. God has given birth to us.